0: Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Elijah once confronted Israel and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then serve him. If Baal, then serve him. And then Elijah proceeded to call fire down from heaven that consumed stone, wood, sacrifice, and licked up 12 barrels of water, which they didn't have to spare. If you know the the situation of uh, of the drought of three years in Israel, and the people fell down on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. So I'm going to tell you about the Lord, He is the God this morning. Romans chapter 1 is part of revelation. Let me say it again. Real information, real news. There's a great deal made about fake news today, but those who are condemning fake news, all they have is frivolous news. Because the biggest news that you can ever hear on earth is still frivolous in compared to this kind of news. Is the point that I make by calling it that. I want to read to you from verse 18 through verse 25. And let's see if the Lord will help us cover those verses. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. 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 And amen to God's holy word. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 begins Paul's argument to condemn all men. And I gave you a very... Fast survey of Romans 1 through 8 on Wednesday evening. Here begins the condemnation of Gentiles and Jews that extends itself all the way to chapter 3 and verse 20. If we come to chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Two and a half chapters, or two chapters, since we're starting at the 18th verse in chapter 1, to condemn men. And as I pointed out on Wednesday evening, if you are ever going to present the doctrine of salvation to someone, make sure you begin with the doctrine of sin. You cannot convince a person that's intelligent about salvation until you convince them of sin. Then you won't have very much work to do at all. Once you get them to admit the depraved nature of man, dead in trespasses and sins, there's only one remedy, right. unconditional eternal life right. and monergistic regeneration with the power of the Holy Ghost. His argument with several subordinate arguments runs through these, these chapters 1, 2, and 3. I want you to remember, and, the, and I repeat this, and I'll, I'll be repeating it maybe, how God reveals himself to men. In verse 20, he reveals himself by creation. The invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen. In verse 21, it's his providence because it says, neither were thankful. So those are things that is beyond God's nature, but things God does. And it matches up with Acts 14, where Paul told the idolaters of Lystra that God had not left himself without a witness in the world, that he did good to men, filling their hearts with food and gladness. And so that's the revelation of providence. And then nature. God has revealed things to us by nature, so it says in verses 26 and 27 that sodomy is contrary to the natural use, because men and women have naturally known for 6,000 years that men ought to marry women, women ought to marry men, And it makes for a very great sexual coupling because it fits. It's convenient, it's proper, it's appropriate, it's nature. Elsewhere in the Bible, the Bible tells us, the Lord tells us in the Bible, that nature teaches us that women should have long hair and men should have short hair. Elsewhere in the Bible, it teaches us that we ought to take care of our aged parents because even the infidels know how to do that. And if we don't do it, then we've denied the faith and are worse than infidels. And so nature is a teacher. Conscience is a teacher in verse 32. Who, knowing the judgment of God, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So there's an innate comprehension that these sins, or at least several of them, are worthy of capital punishment. Yet they commit them anyway, And they take pleasure in entertainment based on them. And they take pleasure in friends that commit them. And so there's conscience that is teaching. Conscience is also over in verses 12 through 16 of chapter 2. Verse 15 will help us. Well, let's get 14 and 15. I'm teaching you Romans right now. Verse 14, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, they don't have the law in a written form, like the Jews did on two tables of stone. Do by nature the things contained in the law, these, that is the Gentiles, without a written law, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. And so, see, the conscience is mentioned right there. The conscience is mentioned. Because God has put enough of his law into the Gentiles that never had the written law that they have a conscience that understands murderers should die. Now, you can't get any dumber than the barbarians on the island of Melita. Please take my description of them. Paul said the barbarians showed us no mean kindness. They were kind, though. But the barbarians, when they saw the viper jump out of the fire and latch onto Paul's hand, they said, there is a God. There is fate. He must be a murderer, and he's going to be killed right here in front of us. They, where did they get that idea from? Because Paul had taught them Genesis chapter 9, that whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed? No, because God put it in their hearts. That's why there's commandments against thou shalt not steal. You know, and in Muslim nations, if you steal, you just get your hands cut off. It's harder for five-finger discounts in the future when you've had your hands cut off. Okay, that's conscience. Sorry for belaboring the point about conscience. And then, of course, it gets to Scripture. And look at chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise... For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Do you see that this is a systematic theology? And he is systematically taking apart Gentiles and Jews to have any standing or ability before God. Verse 10, as it is written. And then he goes on from verses 10 down through verse 18 to quote verse after verse after verse in various places of Psalm and Isaiah, but it's from the scriptures as it is written. So creation, providence, Nature, conscience, scripture, guess what? We need a Savior because five different ways condemn us. We may be thankful that the Spirit introduced salvation in verses 15, 16, and 17 so that when we read Romans 1, 18 through three twenty, there is a Savior already planted in our minds because they were elect believers in Rome and Paul wrote elect believers saying, I can't wait to get there so that we can comfort each other with our mutual faith in a risen, reigning, and returning Savior. Yes. And so we had verse 16 last week, and let's see how far we can go in verses 18 through 25. Verse 18 begins with 4, which is a, which is a coordinating conjunction, tying it to what went before. The reason we needed verses 15, 16, and 17 is because he was about to drop the wrath of God, and run that wrath of God for quite a section. I mean, there's a day of wrath coming. Look at chapter 2 and verse 5. But after thy hardness, 2-5, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. There's a day of hellfire coming on this planet. And it will, it will destroy forever those that do not obey God and neglect the gospel of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a day that is coming. And then verse 16, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. The value of knowing about salvation is because of God's wrath, and the value of salvation is to save us from that wrath. And it says the wrath of God in Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is not a popular subject, yet it is a major theme of the Bible. And it opens the Bible and it closes the Bible. In the second chapter of the Bible, if you eat off that tree, thou shalt surely die. The universe had never seen death before. But there's a God promising death. And not only promising death for the two that would eat it, but promising death for their sons, their daughters, their children, their grandchildren, and everyone else that would come from them. And then, in Revelation 21 and 22, there's death again described. The Bible opens with it, ends with it, because of the wrath of God. Most reject or ignore the wrath of God to hype His love of all men, which we do not do, such as the most popular tract that's ever been produced, the four spiritual laws. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He does have a wonderful plan for your life, but it's not quite what you're thinking when you use those words. His wonderful plan for your life is to display His wrath and His power on your eternal judgment. That little track is such a blasphemous piece of junk. Bill Bright of Campus Crusade, and there's been millions... Over a billion of them spread in the earth. But the wrath of God is what the Bible teaches. And so we want to read the word of God. And I want to say to you, this is your God. The Lord, he is God. If you want the Lord and the God of the Bible, he's a God of wrath. But he's already saved us. So we're reading this for the understanding, and I'm preaching it to you for the understanding of what the Gentiles are like what we've been saved from, what we owe him for saving us from so much, and so that you can comprehend and understand the news that you're going to read this afternoon or tomorrow. There's a reason for it. God's judging the planet, and he's judging the Gentiles, and he's judging anybody that teaches evolution, and he's judging anyone that doesn't thank God every day of their lives for all the wonderful things. How many of you thought that you're Pastors turn into a nutcase in his old age. When I said we ought to give thanks for shoes, yeah. <laughs> I was truly moved about shoes. The Bible notes shoes, and that he kept shoes from wearing out for forty years. Right. Amen. You can have any color of shoe, any kind of shoe, high or low cut, any shoe that you want, and they've, they've got so many models. The most terrifying thing about buying shoes in America is there's too many to pick from. It's horrible. You got to go where there's an expert that can look at your feet and say, "Well, you need this of our 150 models." Incredible. We thank the Lord, but they weren't they're not thankful. So we live in an unthankful generation, and the Bible tells us the perilous times, of the last days would include Christians that were not thankful. Let's not be like them. Let's not be like these Gentiles here or in Ephesians 4. And let's not be the carnal Christians of 2 Timothy 3. Let's give thanks always for everything. I honestly couldn't believe what I was lacing up. And I wanted to thank the Lord for it. Anywhere, anytime, any kind, for practically nothing. And if you look for sales, it is nothing. And if you go to a used store where people are dumping good shoes, it is nothing. Come on. Let's give thanks always for everything. Most preaching today neglects the wrath of God in order to attract and multiply carnal and unregenerate hearers and seduce them into a deep sleep. God is angry against the wicked every day. Look at Psalm 11 with me, please. Psalm 11. God is angry with the wicked every day. Can you imagine those words coming out in Lakewood this morning? God is angry with the wicked every day. Out of the husband and wife couple that run that church, I think they could come out of the, the mouth of the wife first. Psalm 7. God judgeth the righteous. This is verse 11. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. This is your God. We want our children to know this God. Look at the next verse. If he turn not, who is he in the first clause? If he turn not, that is the wicked from verse 11. He, who is that? That is God. God will wet his sword. He hath already, I'm putting that in there for you to understand the perfect tense. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. That is our God. He's angry with the wicked every day. And if the wicked don't turn and repent, God will wet his sword and chop their heads off. And he's already bent his bow and ready to drive arrows through them. This is the God of the Bible. I could spend the rest of the time that I have allotted going from verse to verse to verse about the anger and the wrath of Almighty God. But I'm not going to. God is willing to show his wrath and power. He is not ashamed of it in Romans chapter 9 and verse 23. It says that God is willing to make his wrath and his power known. So I'm making it known right now because this is part of the revelation of the wrath of God is through New Testament preaching of the Bible for us to know that there's an angry God in heaven. One example of his fury is turning Israel over to sacrifice their children. In Ezekiel chapter 20, I hope I've turned you to that place enough times for you to know that the church of God, when they rejected the God that they had been offered himself to them and revealed himself to them, that God gave them bad commandments so that they would sacrifice their children to idols to desolate the nation. That's how bad it can get. And that's with his church. What we're going to read here about God giving them over is not to his church. The wrath of a God who is omnipotent, unlimited power, omniscient, knows everything, holy, cannot stand any sin, and righteous, which means he cannot acquit or clear the guilty, should cause us to fear him. Mm -hmm. Except we have a mediator. And so we fear him with joy. We rejoice with trembling because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus warned his disciples not to fear anyone that can kill their body, but to fear him which can kill body and cast soul and body into hell. Spurgeon would say in a three-word description of Psalm 7, he would say it can be summarized in three words, turn or burn. That's creative and concise the wrath of the most terrible man on earth or devil in hell is nothing compared to God's. If you've ever been afraid of anyone on earth or if you've been afraid of the devil, it's nothing compared to God. The wrath of God is revealed. Revealed equals real news. Our religion is revealed religion. It is not rationalized religion. It's not researched religion. It's not by any human means. It's revealed to us. God had to tell us or we wouldn't have known anything. And he has told us. The law, the Old Testament message, included news about God's wrath against sinners. Just the giving of the law terrified Moses. Because God was so intimidating coming down on Mount Sinai when it looked like a blast furnace. You've heard this from me so many times. Exodus doesn't tell us. Hebrews tells us that Moses exceedingly feared and quaked. Now Moses had been with the Lord a few times, but he exceedingly feared and quaked. How many Psalms declare the glory of God's terror against sinners? Then there's the New Testament. I've already shown you the day of wrath that is coming that Paul mentions in chapter 2. He mentions it in chapter 3, 9, and 14. We shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul did not spare his famous audience in Athens. Though unsolicited by them, he warned them that judgment was coming. When he was with Felix, unsolicited, what did he warn Felix about? Righteousness, temperance, judgment to come. That is the God of the Bible. And he's rightly angry. He's holy. He made us in the Garden of Eden, and we rebelled against him. He should be angry. He is angry. I love him being angry. I love every aspect of his nature. I love the fact that finally there's someone that will do something about evildoers. Amen. Though we praise our president, he doesn't do anything about evildoers. When I say that, I mean the little tiny things he's done is nothing compared to the God of heaven. Amen. There'll be, No one is going to get away with anything be sure your sin will find you out. Every little one will be found out. Then we come to large events in the world reveal the judgment of God and His wrath against enemies. When men ignore or downplay the flood, they are willingly ignorant that there's a God in heaven that once drowned the entire planet of every age, every kind, every sex, every race, everyone. But also consider the Tower of Babel the burning of Sodom and Gomorrah, the plagues of Egypt, the annihilation of the Canaanites, the hemorrhoids in Philistia, the destruction of Sennacherib's army, Nebuchadnezzar crawling around like an animal for seven years, the darkened sun and earthquake at Jesus Christ's death, his resurrection when they came out of the graves, the destruction of Jerusalem with 1.1 million killed, the destruction of Rome by the Visigoths and other events. And the Bible says we should be able to see those and know that there's... A wrath of God. The Bible says in Psalm 29, and it calls it the voice of the Lord, because that's how I look at it. But not everyone looks at it that way. The voice of the Lord is thunder. And thunder, when it shakes the building you're in, and shakes your spleen, and rattles your teeth, when it's close enough. Oh, did we get a couple of those this year, Lord? Let me see the lightning first. (laughs) You know what I meant by that. If you don't see the lightning, it can startle you. Lightning that rips the air like a piece of canvas because it's in your yard. Oh, it's beautiful. But the Bible says that men hear that sound and animals hear that sound. It intimidates them. If there's a pregnant cow, she gives birth because she's scared. The wrath of God, I'm trying to, it's revealed. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The only reason that these events are ignored is a rebellious choice to not retain the knowledge of God. Right. Romans 1:28. natural calamities destroy many, like the 2004 tsunami in Muslim and Hindu countries, which killed over 227,000. Just reading about it, that wave was only 30 inches high going 600 miles an hour from the epicenter. But when it got toward shore, where there wasn't as much water, it became 100 feet high. That's already been six years, yes, Almighty God. Providence is God's government of the world, and resulting favor or punishment of men. Good providence witnesses goodness, after which men should love him and serve him. The blessed God sends his sunshine and his rain on the evil and the good. Even pagans and barbarians understood evil providence like the one I just mentioned to you. Do you remember the mariners on Jonah's ship? They knew where the storm came from. I wish America knew where storms came from. It's not the weather channel. But those pagan mariners knew that it was God. And so they, called, they told everyone to call on their God. They found Jonah sleeping. Hey, buddy, you better call on your God. I don't need to. I already know that it's my God. And I already know it's because of me. So throw me over and it's gonna be calm like a bathtub. So they did. Why'd they know that? Children are born deformed, born retarded, die before birth, die after birth. It's, it's visible everywhere. The, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. It doesn't say by the heavens because this isn't Psalm 19, it's from heaven. God God makes his decisions of wrath in heaven. He's made them before the foundation of the world. He sends the revelation down by his decree. The Old Testament writings, the New Testament writings, and the preaching of the gospel, all these cataclysmic events of his judgment, the cataclysmic events of what we call nature, which are nothing but his hand, is all from heaven. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Why does God have wrath and why is he angry? Because he's holy. He hates sin. He's righteous. He hates wrong. He's just. He hates inequity. And he's jealous. He hates competitors. And when you violate him, in one or more of those, he's going to reveal his wrath. And he he's warns you by revealing his wrath in a message form of it, right. through his word. Against all ungodliness. If we make a distinction between ungodliness and unrighteousness, and when we have two terms like this next to each other, We can say there's a great deal of overlap, but ungodliness is not giving God glory because we're not treating God the way that we should. Unrighteousness is not treating others the way we should, the way God told us to, if you want to see a little bit of distinction in what it says in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. But then there's another another aspect of these men that God is going to judge, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They live wickedly while holding the truth. And it's men. Angels receive their just due for sinning. They're held in chains of darkness, waiting for the great day when they'll be cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. It's just that some men get to join them there who have followed the devil during his, their lives. Just like Eve did. Eve... Followed the devil. Adam indirectly followed the devil by following his wife. Who hold the truth. How can it be said that blind, ignorant Gentiles of the world hold the truth? And what truth? How do they hold it? They have seen it and understood it sufficiently to know that it is truth. What truth do they hold? By the context, they hold the truth of God's existence, God's glory, God's power, and His goodness by his merciful providence. They know. Those mariners, the island of Melita, and other places know that it's God. Listen, I've heard pagans and agnostics say when I was out in the workforce that when something good happened, if I were to come back and they knew or they got uh, an inner office mail, there wasn't email back then, if they got an interoffice office email or mail about a promotion or an increase, they would say, you must be living right They, being agnostics, would say something stupid like that, though true, stupid because they didn't really believe it. It's just a common expression. And the reason I'm bringing it up is, men know. Men know. You know, whenever they get in trouble, guess who they start singing about and praying to? The deck of the Titanic didn't have very many unbelievers on it when it hit a 45-degree angle. Then they're singing, Nearer my God to thee. Men in foxholes with buddies' brains all over their uniform tend to get religious because they know where to go. It's called fire insurance. Turn or burn. And as soon as the firefight is over, they're right back to their former ways because there was no regeneration involved in it. And that's why the wicked can have such concepts of God because they know he's there and they'll, they'll acknowledge his existence when there's something overwhelming to them and difficult for them, but as soon as it's over, there's no more recognition. Who hold the truth. How can they hold the truth in light of the doctrine of total depravity? Total depravity doesn't deny man's visual or mental faculties. It denies man's affection and willingness to submit to the d- divine knowledge of a god. Total depravity is a matter of the heart. I know I said that last week. I want you to remember it and not get yourself into a situation with someone where you're trying to argue for total depravity, but you describe it in terms they know are not true. We, they, men still have intellectual faculties, and they're still able to see and they're still able to hear, but they can't see, hear, or understand in a spiritual way that would cause them to humble themselves, repent, and obey what they've heard about God and His Son, Jesus Christ. The fire of God's great wrath should cause us to worship acceptably, though we are in the New Testament, for He has not changed. The last two verses of Hebrews 12, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. When preachers modify the message to get rid of the wrath of God to please the audience, two terrible things happen. The heart of the righteous is made sad that God didn't make sad, and the hands of the wicked are strengthened to continue in their wicked way. That's Ezekiel 13, 22. Those two bad things happen when men compromise the message of God's word. Your response to the truth God offers you and has given you is crucial to God's dealings with you. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Do you remember those from a few weeks ago about the parable of the sower? Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. How you hear. You. Because these men have the truth, but they don't obey the truth. And so God's wrath is coming against them. So let's make sure that we obey the truth God's given to us. Verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Because that. Why is God's wrath revealed against men? Because they hold the truth in unrighteousness. They know that it's true. God's clearly shown it to them. And so there's explanations here for you to understand. God is so kind. He doesn't just drop His fire on planet Earth. He gave us 1,189 chapters Telling us about himself, telling us about our responsibility, and that he's incredibly fair. He is. He's he's beyond fair. It's not even right to call him fair. He's merciful and he's gracious and he's long suffering and he's patient, and patient and patient. Far more patient than we would be. Far more patient than we are. He is. He is. Because that. Here's why the wrath is coming because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, but they don't respond the right way, for God hath showed it unto them. That's what because that means. The knowledge of God here is the basics that every natural man can comprehend. And it's in verse 20. Let me say it again to you. We're not there yet. We're in verse 19. But for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Invisible attributes character traits of Almighty God are clearly seen by the visible things of creation, being understood by the things that are made. So not only are they clearly seen, but they're understood, and even natural men understand them, even His eternal power and Godhead. You cannot see the eternal power of God. You can't see eternity, and you can't see His power You can only see the effect of his power on objects. You cannot see omnipotence. It's a concept, and I don't even like that word. It's an attribute. It's a trait of God. His eternal power and Godhead. What is Godhead? The collection of attributes that make a God. Omniscient, knowing everything. Omnipotent, unlimited power. Omnipresent, eternal, invisible, immortal, Those attributes, they know them, they're clearly seen, and they're understood. It's it's manifest in them, according to this verse. If something is manifest, then it is evident, plain, and obvious. It is clearly seen, as verse 20 says. It's known in verses 19 and 21. It is not merely presented to them, but it is grasped by them, so that it is described as in them. This does not have to deal with every single person equally. This is how God deals with men racially, nationally, culturally, generationally, societally, in broad terms, because there are some that are incapable of knowing as much, but their parents know more, and their Priests no more, and their rulers no more. And so keep that in mind. Not everyone has the same degree of comprehension, but there is enough of it to go around that God can say it's clearly seen, it's understood, it's manifest, and it's in them, and they're holding the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 20. Because God hath showed it unto them are the final words of verse 19. For God hath showed it unto them. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. God hath showed it unto them. Verse 20. For the invisible things of Him, I've just mentioned them, His divine attributes are seen from the creation of the world. That's not a time statement. That is a source statement that His attributes are seen By the creation of the world. From what God made, you're able to tell things about Him. And they're clearly seen. Look at the words. Clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. If you read Psalm 19 last night, or if you know Psalm 19, the first six verses, God's declaring His existence in every language, every dialect, every day, every night. Day into day, utter His speech. Night into night, showeth again. Showeth knowledge. Yes. And we love that passage. Psalm 19, 1 through 6, is a great commentary on these verses right here about God's creation. Being understood by the things that are made, God's immensity of some things, heavens. Can you measure them? Heavenly bodies, mountains, oceans, elephants the detail of other things, flowers, birds, insects, fish, cells, DNA, reproduction, the beauty of all things, sunrise, sunset, the coordination of all, the reproduction of kind. The more man learns of the universe and world, the more we should recognize the Lord. He is the God. Amen. The Lord, Jehovah, he is the God. How did God reason with Job? Job. He went right after the natural creation in great detail to humble Job down to nothing, though Job was his best friend on earth. Sometimes we need to go back, like the slides from Job, or like Joshua a few Sundays ago, we need to go back and remember the immensity and awesome aspects of God's creation so that we can see him in a different way. We can clearly see him we can understand him. Who doesn't love? Anyone here do not love Job 38 through 41? I hope you do. I love the things he created. Amen. <clears throat> He's got a sense of humor, doesn't he? Yeah. Amen. So, do I need to get off on that subject? I'm going to show you my discipline. And I'm going to leave that hairy creature in its cage. Do you need any hints? (laughs) Thank you. That's a helpful brother. I love everything he's created. I I love everything he's done. This morning, this morning, when you opened the garage door or you went outside, was it a different kind of an embrace? The humidity and the temperature combination was fantastic. Where did it come from? I had to listen to a little sermon for a while on the way to, I had to listen, on the way to church about the maintenance of the seasons by my wife. She was just overwhelmed by it because it was actually almost a shock to the system because for a few months we've been accustomed to stepping out and it's a blast of hot humidity and it's choking, and it's oppressive. I still like it. <laughs> but this morning was very nice. Just Do you thank the Lord for those things? Amen. He's able to send seasons of refreshing spiritually, and he's able to send seasons of refreshing naturally. Amen. Even his eternal power in God had have said enough so that they are without excuse. Many oppose election. Many fight against the doctrine of election because it doesn't give man a chance. But the Bible says man had a chance in the Garden of Eden and man has a chance every day that there's enough information conveyed to him that's clearly seen and it's understood they should fall down and repent and worship this God and give him glory. But they do not. There was a chance in Adam, not here, Romans 5, but there's a chance every day and every night to watch those twinkling stars, to watch that moon hang there, that beautiful lesser light of the night, knowing that all it is is reflection. But on a clear night and a full moon a few days ago? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Lord. Because that again, in verse 21, because that. no, We had because that in verse 19, because God is explaining why he must send wrath. Because that, verse 19. Because that, verse 21, when they knew God. They did know God because God had revealed enough of himself to them to know him, they glorified him not as God. Here's the first great offense, they didn't give God glory, though the first thing we recognize about him is his glory. Right. The heavens declare the glory of God. Right. That sun is so beautiful, 93 million miles away. It is so bright. It is able to drive pitch darkness away. You stand at the end edge of the ocean, with, without lights. Oh, these ordinances. Within 10 miles of the ocean, there shouldn't be a street light or any electricity. You say you're crazy. Okay, I am. But still, and then you see a glow. And then you see the little top edge of that sun coming up over the horizon. And pretty soon it's all day around you, and that thing comes up overhead. It's glorious. And when it sets, it's glorious. And when it rises, it's glorious. And we get to see it twice a day. The rise and setting of the the greater light to rule the day. Thank you, Lord, for it. They glorified him not as God. They did not give him the glory due to his nature and their basic knowledge of him make sure that you and make sure that I and make sure that this church worships him acceptably with reverence and godly fear or we're going to fall in the same category except we clearly see things and we understand things at a different level than they do. We understand it spiritually and we've converted to it and we've confessed and professed his, his glorious name. Let's always let our church be one that gives God the glory for everything, all the time, with everyone, with everyone, the Lord be magnified. Amen. The Lord be magnified. Neither were thankful. Neither. A separate sin. They did not give thanks for His merciful, kind providence in their lives. God is the just giver of every good gift, expects recipients to give thanks. And if they don't, He'll put a yoke of iron around your neck until He destroys you. And those are words to His church in Deuteronomy 28. We cannot ever thank him too much. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Even after we're saved, even after we've gone beyond just seeing a sunrise and a sunset, in everything, give thanks. This is the will of God. I wish I knew what God's will was for my life. Well, why don't you dedicate yourself to giving thanks for the rest of your life? for everything that he's done for you and everything that he's given you. It's a symptom of perilous times when Christians are also unthankful. But they became vain in their imaginations. They rebelled against his knowledge. And in their imaginations, they imagined different kinds of religion, different kinds of worship, because they didn't want to give him obedience or worship or glory. So they became vain. Vain means worthless, profitless, nothing. Trash. Garbage. In their imaginations. They worked up religions where they could have a religious pretense. There could be a priesthood. They could get sacrifices. They could get money paid. They could build a system. They could build beautiful buildings to tie a nation together under one religion. But it's vain. And they imagined it to get rid of the God that had revealed himself to them. And so this is, God is explaining why he's sending wrath on this world and on the Gentiles. Men are constantly imagining new doctrines and new ways of doing things, and we must rule our spirits and minds to look for the old paths and stay in them. I wish you could all hear me on this. They will no longer endure sound doctrine, so they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears who will bring them fables instead. And the couple that I mentioned do it every Sunday at Lakewood. Every Sunday, fables. So there's an application for us as we work through this and we see where idolaters came from. We we can realize there is a threat for our church. There is a threat for our children and our children's children. And that threat is that they don't give God the glory and be thankful like they should. And that they become vain in their imaginations and think there's a better way. You know, Bible thumpers. Bible thumpers and hellfire and brimstone preachers are considered an anachronism of the past. They're like cavemen hunting rabbits with boomerangs. But it's the Bible way of preaching. And so they change. Well, we don't want to do that. We could scare off people that aren't used to that. So let's just tell nice stories and have Starbucks in the lobby and let everybody come in their flip-flops, shorts, and a tank top. And let's turn the decibels up to 150 so that it sounds like you're on the runway at GSP. They become vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. That's passive voice. God darkens them. Just like we read about in Isaiah 44, just like God sends strong delusion on Catholics. We come to verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. It's the conceit of men to profess. He and his race are wise that is so dangerous with God. Let's never do it. The helpful rule is over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If any man wants to be wise, then let him declare himself a fool. Let's be like Solomon. I am but a little child, and I don't know how to go out or to come in. The Lord loves that. Paul's blasting the wise in verse 22, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Here are the intellectuals, the educated, and the educators arrogantly declaring wisdom. Here are Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, Seneca, and other Greek philosophers. This is a rebuke and condemnation of Greeks and other wise men in world history. The Greek Parthenon, the Roman Pantheon, and all their gods prove the loss of their minds. Worshipping a stone image of various kinds, as we're going to read, of man, of a beast, and even of creeping things. A sphinx. How idiotic. The Lord's given them the recompense of their error, which is a little different than the recompense in this chapter, and that is Egypt's been a base nation now for over 2,000 years. It used to be a great nation, but it's base, and God promised it base, and that word B-A-S-E, base, is in the Bible about Egypt and that God promised he would do that to them. They became fools. The wisest of men... Are the most edu- or the most educated and intelligent become fools in their arrogance, and God blinds them. The so-called wise of our generation believe that monkeys and baboons are our ancestors. Even our children can't figure that out. There's no similarity. So why would they think it? Unbelievable. Our generation is more blind and ignorant than pagan idolaters. I've said this to you before, because at least pagan idolaters acknowledge the existence and power of some kind of a god that they made an image to. Our generation doesn't even acknowledge that. They think they're the gods, and they're thinking, though they have no explanation for anything, and all their reason, all their reasoning is on the presupposition of nothing. That's right. That everything came out of nothing without creative design. And so they reason from that. It's terrible. Verse 23, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Man lives, breathes, has all kinds of physical things pertaining to hygiene and disease, and then he dies, but they make a God that looks like him. Or to birds, Isis, or other other gods in uh, Egypt, and four-footed beasts like the Sphinx, and creeping things, even the bugs and insects have been worshipped like in Ezekiel chapter 8, which was happening in Israel. Rather than submit to the truth they hold of God's existence, they change their conscience or convictions in the matter and look for replacement religion against that God. The glory of the uncorruptible God. His incorruptibility is His eternal power. If God has eternal power, then He is eternal in both directions, and He has the power to maintain Himself, and He doesn't corrupt but they make him look like a man. Listen, we only last a few years in the prime of life, and then we're gone. You look at an old man and and think about him, or if you have pictures of him in his youth when he was a bull, and it just deteriorates and disappears. That's corruption. God doesn't corrupt like that. He has eternal power. But they make him look like that. And then these other ridiculous things, the eagles of the Romans, are you kidding me? And so forth. And you, I don't want to spend time on it. I just want you to understand these verses. I don't want to get off in the details too much. The, the God of heaven is Jehovah. I am that I am. Do you know how much eternal power that is? That is infinite eternal power. Amen. I am that I am. I love that name. I want you to love that name. We should never be ashamed of that name. What is that name pointed up with vowels? Jehovah. J-H-V-H. Jehovah. The sacred Hebrew tetragrammaton of four consonants into an image. So they make images instead of the real thing that revealed himself, the real being that revealed himself to them. Image worship is devil worship according to 1 Corinthians 10.20. The Gentiles worship images and the Bible says and Paul explains that they're worshiping devils when they do that. Made like two corruptible man and these other creatures. Verse 24, wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. There's a a wherefore here. Wherefore? Because that. We've had because that in verse 21. We've had because that in verse 19. We've had verse 20 explain that God's creation clearly revealed Himself to them and that they understood it and that they professed themselves to be wise. And when you profess yourself to be wise, you ask God to take you down. Pride cometh before a fall. And they change the glory of the uncorruptible God into these ridiculous things. Wherefore, it's an, inter, it's an intermediate conclusion. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. So he gives them up to sexual perversions. This re-wearing of men is found in verse 24 that I've just read to you. It's in verse 26 and it's in Verse 28. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. This God is the glorious and sovereign God of heaven known by His judgment. Psalm 9.16 says the Lord is known by His judgments. And this is one of His judgments. What is the adverb also here for? Wherefore God also. Because He's already judged them in context. It's in verse 21. Their foolish heart was darkened. God darkened their hearts. They professed themselves to be wise. Their religion degenerated into vanity. And so now he's going to do a little bit more. God is in the heart and mind altering business, as with Pharaoh, Sihon and the Amorites, Canaanites, Israel and Quail, Israel and child sacrifice, and Israel and Christ. And I could detail any of those and a whole lot more. God is perfectly blameless, holy, just and righteous in turning men over to their own depraved lusts for having rejected him and the knowledge he graciously offered them. Notice what it says. God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. He did not have to infuse sodomy in anyone because it was already there. He just gave them up to it. Understand that. We invited the whole kit and caboodle of sin and depravity in in the garden of eden and he just turns us over to it now we've said it for decades that any one of us are capable of any sin do you still believe that do you still know your own depravity well what's kept you back from them thank god it's not your personal discipline uncleanness the quality or state of being morally or spiritually unclean moral impurity sexual fornication or filthiness an instance of this it's a broad category of sexual sins that go beyond the restrictive terms of adultery or fornication it's to be compared in the bible to filthiness filthiness and uncleanness they're large broad categories of sexual sins paul's chief aim right here is to introduce the sexual depravity that god gives men over to which he will explain in much greater detail as sodomy in the following verses of 26 and 27. We included Rome's abominable idolatries in our interpretation of this passage in verses 18 through 25, so we shouldn't be surprised to see her priest's proclivity for males young and old. Societies where God has been formally and religiously rejected often have eventually abounded in these sins, including Greece and including America in 2020. Let me me do this before... Can a child of God can a child of God with four phases of salvation in his or her life, be tempted by sodomy? You should ask it, and I, I believe the Bible answers it. Can a child of God with four phases of salvation, eternally elected, legally justified, vitally regenerated, practically converted? God's judgment here, repeated thrice verse 24, verse 26, verse 28 is racial for Gentiles, generational and societal, not individual and personal proven and shown by straight idolaters straight atheists and straight evolutionists not every evolutionist is a sodomite not every atheist is a sodomite Paul used gave them up to a reprobate mind for your sins I want you to know that the words God gave them up to a reprobate mind are not about sodomy. They're in verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And then he goes and describes the 23 things you do. Okay? Paul used not convenient for straight sins, also true of sodomy. To do those things which are not convenient in verse twenty eight. In the previous verses when it's talking about sodomy, it talks about dishonoring, it talks about unseemly, it talks about it uses it uses the words vile, but not convenient is what you do. Paul described compromising Christians without natural affection, Second Timothy chapter three, casual Christianity, without natural affection. Christians are tempted against nature with hair length and parental care. Paul wouldn't have had to address it in First Thessalonians. I mean, First Timothy chapter five and First Corinthians chapter eleven. Paul confessed the lust commandment wrought in him all manner of concupiscence. Sodomites can be saved legally. First Corinthians six nine through eleven says they are because there they're listed in a, in a bunch of sins sodomites can be saved legally but this does not preclude temptation of sodomy for the other more ordinary sins in that list do tempt those truly converted once you've given yourself into something and created habits for your flesh and the devil knows about your past he is able to test you in those areas more easily and he does so because he's not as dumb as people that would try to argue against what i'm saying right now because he knows that he has an inroad from your past experiences mental images the fact that you've already been there, done that, you, you, they, the, the temptations fly up into your face much more vividly than they would another's. We have admitted, in light of the Bible's revelation, that any Christian is capable of any sin. There's no Bible reason to think or say that Christians cannot be tempted by sodomy. And so, earlier, when I said the things of creation, God's attributes and his eternal power and Godhead are clearly seen. It's not equally with every single individual. It is a general proposition for Gentiles. And so when we read this, it's a general proposition in America right now because we threw creation of the schools and the Bible of the schools and the Ten Commandments of the schools and they profess themselves to be wise. And so God's given them over to this as a nation and as a generation. When I grew up, it wasn't true. When I was a boy, it wasn't true. There were very few, very, very few. And they were all in the closet because they didn't dare come out. But it's changed because our nation has gone against. But I've known atheists and I've known agnostics and you can read about evolutionists and they're not all sodomites. So it's not a one-for-one relationship for each individual person as a judgment. It's God turning over a generation. It's God turning over a nation. It's God turning over a culture. It's God turning over a race to the sin. And so you can look at the outline later Time time is telling me that I cannot go very much further, but I want you to think through that and reason and understand that. Uh, why don't we go to 1 Corinthians 6 and just see the saved sodomites in the church at Corinth and just remember this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6.9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Right. 1 Corinthians 6.9, Be not deceived, neither fornicators... "...nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind..." There, there's two categories of aspects of sodomy. "...nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you, but ye are washed..." But ye are sanctified, and ye are so renewed in the spirit of your mind that you'll never have a temptation in the direction of those sins ever again, I promise, forever. No, it doesn't say that. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, legally saved. But ye are sanctified, legally saved. But ye are justified, legally saved, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God." And if you want to put vital in there for the sanctification like we do in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, that's okay too because it mentions the Holy Spirit. But when you look at this list of sins, are you going to say that idolaters were never tempted with an aspect of idolatry after this event? That's contrary to what Paul taught in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 and 10 when he said that there were men in the church at Rome and in the church at Corinth that still had a problem with idols. And so you should not eat, so you should not buy your meat from the idol's market and you should be careful in everything you do for their conscience sake because they're still troubled by it. And so Paul said, you know, if, if eating meat is going to make my former idolatrous brother to sin, then I'm going to eat no flesh while the world stands. Through the lust of their own hearts. God is glorified and honored by dishonoring men and women through sexual perversity. That's what it says at the end of verse 24, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. God's honored by it because they profess themselves to be wise, so he lowers them to the gutter. God is honored by so-called wise men dishonoring themselves below four-footed beasts. And if you go read about the philosophers of Greece, you'll find out that it's like America in the present time. Marriage is honorable and all and its bed and defiled, but this is only man-woman marriage. There is nothing gay about this abominable, abominable perversion that occupies the verses here in this passage. God calls sodomy something different than gay. He calls it abusing of yourself with mankind where we just read in 1 Corinthians 6, and he calls it defiling yourself with mankind in 1 Timothy chapter 1. What purpose does the preposition between serve in verse 24? To dishonor their own bodies between themselves. God disgraces both gay participants. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. God revealed himself as a creator. They changed it into a lie. They're going to worship the creature instead. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. The truth under consideration is still the truth of God's existence in creation, as indicated by these terms. Truth doesn't change. It's always the same, even if that unchangeable truth indicates that there should be changes in the form of worship. Seventh-day Adventists cannot get that through their head. I have to argue with them on a regular basis. God doesn't change. Truth doesn't change. But the form of worship can change because that doesn't change the truth. It's still the same God. He's still holy. He's just asked to be worshipped a different way. In Paul's day, there were many so-called Christians corrupting gospel truth. Notice what it says, who changed the truth of God into a lie. We started out in verse 18 about God's wrath being revealed from heaven against men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They have the truth. We have the truth. Let's never change the truth. Let's hold fast the truth that God's given us. Even in Paul's day, he said in 2 Corinthians 2.17, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. Even in his day, many so called Christians today are turning the truth of God into fables, as I've already mentioned to you from 2 Timothy chapter 4, and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Well, I get to end with the most wonderful verses, the most wonderful words in these few verses who is blessed forever. Amen. 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 Who is blessed forever. Yes. Who is blessed forever we bless thee forever. Amen. You are blessed forever. And if you sink our souls into hell, your righteous law proves it well. Right. And you'll still be blessed. Amen. And we will still bless thee from there. We will not curse thee from there. We will bless thee from there. We are not like the Gentile world, but ye have not so learned Christ. Ephesians 4. We have been saved by God's grace. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. We must be opposite every evil character trait that we read in this passage. Let's give him glory. Let's always give him thanks. Let's bless him forever. We understand and know where perverse sex trends come from and the transgendering nonsense and abominable ideas that are now in this world that 15 years ago we wouldn't even have been able to imagine. God be praised. He's getting himself honored by dishonoring them little boys turning into little girls, and wanting their male member removed, wearing little dresses, and beautiful women having their bodies mutilated and altered, and taking male hormones, unbelievable. Do you know why it's all happening? They didn't glorify God, and they weren't thankful. So let's do both better than ever. Stand, stand with me, please.